This episode is sponsored by the publisher Rootledge. Rootledge has an extensive collection within education and educational leadership. They publish thousands of books and journals each year, serving scholars, instructors, and professional communities worldwide. Go to their homepage, rootledge.com. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Wherever you are in the world and whenever you listen to this podcast, I hope that you will gain knowledge on how to perform leadership research better or how to uh, perform leadership practice better. So enjoy the interview that I have uh, the privilege to present to you today. So I am here at a national conference in Chicago. The conference is called Leadership Connections and it is the McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership that organizes the conference. And there are many uh, presentations here and we are going to talk to one of the presenters now. And she is called Maria Bokeh-Mung Mangelo. Mangelo. Mangelo, I'm sorry. (laughs) And she's an assistant uh, professor in educational leadership at the Central Connecticut State University. And you had a presentation today, Maria, about uh, instructional leadership in early childhood settings. And, And what was kind of the main point in your presentation today? So I was talking with uh, the people who joined my presentation about um, how they can really create, as leaders, create and support um, good early childhood learning environments. So looking at the way they shape the culture of their institution, um, the way that they actually drive effective teaching, Um, the way they build relationships with community partners, um, and then how they can use the structures and supports in their um, systems to really support that kind of high-quality early childhood learning environment. And when you talk about early childhood, which age group of children are we talking about? So in my um, presentation particularly, I was thinking of the pre-K to grade 3 realm. So thinking about that, I, I do think there's some real work that needs to be done starting to think about a, a broader birth to, I mean, in some ways, a birth to grade 12 or birth to grade 16, if we really wanted to, to expand that alignment. Um, but the presentation today really focused on pre-K to grade three, in part because my background um, in, in my work is in training um, school leaders, public school leaders. You know, I work in a, a program that certifies, helps, helps students get their um, administrator certification. So that's, I guess, a little bit more of where my comfort level is. And, and for my European listeners, so pre-K is the age of five years old? Younger, so three and four-year-olds. So looking at three and four-year-olds and sometimes five-year-olds are in that pre-kindergarten. Mm. And then kindergarten is usually about five-year-olds. Sometimes, uh, depending on the state, they, they can go in at different ages. And then grade three would be about eight or nine years old. And are you looking at kind of instructional leadership in relation to 
traditional kind of school subjects like maths and English, or is it more kind of the broader pedagogical kind of um, approaches? Definitely looking at it from the broader perspective. Um, one of the, the key things I was talking about today was that um, really to support good early learning environments, um, leaders have to be advocating for making sure that it is a really holistic, rich curriculum that you know, includes the arts and physical education and science and social emotional learning um, because that's just what kids need and that's how they learn at that age. So it's thinking not just math and literacy, but thinking more broadly about a holistic and comprehensive curriculum. Do you think we can use the same kind of uh, instructional leadership for traditional subjects like maths and English as we do for arts and physical education and kind of more developing their life skills and emotions and fine motor skills and stuff like that? I think we can because I, I think I think it's important not to think of them always as very separate pieces. Um, because certainly the way children, the way humans develop, it, it's complex, things are developing in relationship. We can't say the kids are just learning art when they're learning art. You know, when they're using the arts, the arts, they could also be learning literacy or math, or they're getting their fine motor skills. So I think we have to think about it much more broadly. I think that that's, that's the best way to do it. And, and there's certainly learning theory out there and brain theory that says, you know, the more connected we make learning, the better it takes hold in the brain. So um, I think that's important. And I think it's also important because, um, you know, different children have different strengths. Um, you know, we talk more about learning styles. I'm not sure that I like that the best necessarily, but, but definitely have different strengths and, and interests. And I think that we, need, we can use a child's strength in one area to help them learn in an area that may, that's maybe not their strength or, or use their interests to hook them on something that they might not be interested in. So I, I think it's useful to, to think broadly and interconnected. And, and not that there aren't specific ways, you know, math has its own, if you want to get into that idea of disciplinary literacy, you know, how something like every field has its own way of thinking and its own language and its own way of, of communicating. Um, I think that's important. You know, so there are some things about teaching math that are going to be different than teaching reading. And I'm not saying we should ignore that, but I think leadership has to be thinking about the big picture. And then uh, you have told me that you used uh, a categorization from Sarah Mead where she has uh, four activities which are kind of crucial for a good instructional leadership. Can you maybe talk us through these four uh, categories? Sure. So the, um, the article that I based my presentation on today was an article by Sarah Mead. It was a, a policy brief that she wrote for the Foundation for Child Development. Um, it's entitled Pre-K to Third Principles as Crucial Instructional Leaders. And um, in it, she talks about the, um, the things that principals can actually do. So the leadership actions that principals can take in order to support the pre-K to third environment. And, and while her article focused on principles, I believe that these are the kind of things that, can, that are good for all leaders of, of um, students of this age. Um, and the first one she talks about is creating a pre-K to grade three culture. So we have to make sure that um, leaders are valuing 
um, pre-kindergarten and kindergarten students and their teachers, and they have to see it as a fundamental part of the whole learning process. Um, they have to think about making sure then that we're aligning what's going on, so with standards and curriculum and instruction and assessment, that we have alignment from pre-K to grade three, this idea that it all belongs together. I think that's really important. But I can see a danger in that we have a schoolification yes. kind of to yes. the young ages. Are you aware of that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and what we have to be careful of, and I actually had a really interesting conversation today, and it's something I, I feel like I need to think probably more before I can really elaborate on it, but I was having a conversation with um, someone during one of the sessions, and, um, and we were talking about that, how, this, how um, challenges get pushed down. Mm. And um, we were talking about how we always seem to be trying in early childhood to to explain what we're doing in terms of the language that of all the of all above mm. and what I think we need to do and this this woman I was speaking with was and I were talking about is maybe we need to frame it the other way and mm. take our language and push it up mm. um, so I, I think I definitely don't want it to push it down so I think with the alignment it's it I guess I am looking for the to pull the pre-K to mm. practices, the younger practices, and help pull those up, mm. rather than just having the the push down. Because I certainly don't want to see us making young children do things that they shouldn't be doing. Or we could do it both ways. Or both. Yeah. Actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and that's too. too cause, because I, I, on another conversation, that's why I said I'm, maybe I'm a little early bringing this <laughs> together because I'm still really thinking about it today. It's the fun of conferences, right? You get your your mind going um, but we need to go both ways because I think we need to bring that up but then we also have to watch the language we use because when we talk about something like play-based learning people in higher grades shut down like oh school's not about play but if we call it inquiry-based learning or experiential learning mm. then we can we can actually be talking about letting kids play and explore but we're using a language that doesn't make people above say oh that's just play so um, mm. so I think there's some, some way, like I said, I think I need to think a little more to really flesh that out. Mm. But, um, but that alignment, I think, is important because it does, it does make sure that we're getting good practices going throughout. And then if we go to the second activity. Sure. The second one um, that she talks about is, is driving effective teaching. And this is, to me, is really where the instructional leadership comes through. So it's about um, principals making sure that high-quality instruction in every classroom for all kids is their priority. And that they're making sure that they're providing um, professional learning opportunities for their teachers so that they know how to create good curriculum and assessments, um, that we're using assessments to drive instruction, um, and that um, leaders are getting into classrooms so that they know what's actually going on in classrooms and are having conversations with teachers about their practice. And um, we had a big discussion in my session today also about um, the importance of leaders being co-learners with their staff. So when we're doing professional learning, how can we make sure that the leaders are involved in that as well? So it becomes a collaborative learning process, not just, I think this is a good idea, now you all go learn it. So, um, so I think that's another piece for driving effective mm -hmm. teaching. And if we go to the third activity. So the, her third um, piece that she mentions is creating structures and conditions in the school that support quality instruction. Um, and some of these have some sort of overlap, but um, 
what she's talking about here is, again, is making sure that there are the structures and systems in place to allow for things like alignment to happen across grades and having um, using professional development time to give teachers the skills and knowledge they need to build the curriculum instruction um, and assessments and and looking at um, how they use the resources. So it's not just money for resources, but how can we structure time to make these things happen? How can we move people to the right places? How can we use the expertise of people in the building to make these um, make this alignment and these these um, these skills that we want to have happen? Make them make them actually happen. Uh, yes, and the fourth activity. Sure. And so the, the fourth piece she mentions is um, building relationships with community partners. Um, Mead would say that uh, to really have a, an effective pre-K to grade three program, we have to recognize that children have been somewhere before they come to pre-K, whether they're at, whether they're at home or whether they're in a, a child care setting um, there's this other learning experience, or some children are, are coming to pre-K, um, if you're thinking about a public school system, some kids are maybe in the pre-K in the building, but some kids are coming from pre-K programs in community centers or in faith-based centers. And so um, Mead makes the argument that principals need to be reaching out to those centers as well, to, to the other community partners, because those kids are gonna end up in their buildings anyway. So thinking about how can we boost the quality of all programs? Um, how can we make connections so that um, these pre-K teachers are talking to each, all the pre-K teachers are talking to each other? Um, can we find ways to do, when we're doing professional development in the school, can we draw in those community partners and allow them to have conversations together? Because having that commonality, so if we can have common language, if we can have common, some common maybe routines or common learning experiences, it makes the transition so much better for kids. And then we're getting an overall quality. We can bring the overall quality of, of everything up because we can share what are best practices, what's working for everyone, and then how can we incorporate that across programs. Mm. Really interesting. I actually want to go back to the first activity, sure. which was about aligning. Mm -hmm. Uh, all the way from pre-K up to grade three. And then I'm thinking in my country, mm -hmm. uh, the children will be in childcare centers until the age of seven, mm -hmm. so it's very late. Okay. And then they will uh, go to a school at the age of seven. And you are talking about aligning what goes on from the age of three. Uh, and I'm just thinking yeah, together with you, do you think it could be an idea that actually the school principal uh, went over on a weekly basis maybe to the child care center and led together with the early childhood administrator, I don't know, for two hours per week? Mm -hmm. And then maybe also when the children entered the school at the age of seven, the early childhood director would come over to the school and lead together with uh, the school principal. What, what do you think about my thinking? <laughs> I mean, I think some structures like that would be wonderful so that we just sort of assume that these connections are going to happen. Um, we always get into, you know, where's the, where's the principal gonna find that time and what happens when the principal's out of the building or vice versa, so there might be some logistical challenges and you might have a town where um, there's multiple 
um, child care providers. Yeah. So, so there's some some challenges there. Um, but I think we have to get I think we have to get creative. Right? If, if we're going to say that, um, and I really believe that all children are all of our responsibilities. So it's not the child cares. They're, they have responsibility maybe physically for those children for that time, but those children are gonna go on to our schools and then go on to our communities. So I think we have to adopt that mindset that if, you know, all of these children are all of our children. They're all of our responsibilities because they're either gonna, they're gonna get something and come to us or they're gonna get something and go on from us. You know, so there's, there's that idea that we, we all need to be involved and invested. I, I think we have to get creative about it. And, um, one woman in, in my session shared that they bring, they invite all of their um, the pre-K programs in their district. She was an elementary school principal. Um, four times a year, they invite all the child care programs and their teachers to come to their school with their families. Mm. And they do something. I think she said they give them dinner all together first. And then the children go off and do, um, you know, get a story read to them. And the parents and the teachers all engage in, in some collective learning. Mm. And then the children come back and the parents do something with their children. And then they take something home. And she said it's it's was easy to fund within their district. So, But it's getting those that's making those connections mm. for the children and their parents and the teachers. And so they're, you know, the, the teachers in, the, in the, the elementary school are getting to do some modeling for the teachers in the pre-K and we're hooking the parents in. So we're really creating this broad system together. Um, so I think some creative things like that, we need to think about how to do them. And they don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be. Um, I mean, putting money behind things can help, but um, but I think getting creative is the way to go. Mm. I do. And and uh, when we talk about instructional leadership, or maybe as I would say, in pedagogical leadership, uh, and you are talking about kind of a wider uh, community approach, maybe uh, getting all different parts to kind of uh, come together. But do you think it's yeah, and I can understand that you think about instructional leadership as distributed. So you're mm -hmm. not only thinking about the early childhood uh, director, but you also think about other people. Mm -hmm. But do you think that the early childhood director has a wider responsibility for the instructional quality than the others? So, so he will actually have to lead to take the lead, actually. Or do you think that the teachers can? just as well take the lead? That is an interesting question. I, I almost want to just answer with an it depends mm. on the environment. Um, and I think that's because I, I tend to look at things very contextually. Mm. So um, you know, sometimes I do think the, it's the leader that simply has to lead. But there is so much power, I think, in the grassroots teachers leading as well. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure <laughs> how to answer that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and then I want to, no, not to remove, to move us on to that you have done, you have started to do some research where have you have asked uh, the directors about their instructional leadership, and then you have asked their teachers about uh, the director's instructional leadership. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us maybe through what have you done? 
is it quantitative or qualitative mm -hmm. and how many um, uh, informants do you have? So I um, was able to, this fall, um, I created my own survey, which I then piloted with um, some, um, with some experts in, in the field um, that took these ideas from Sarah Mead's work. And, um, and I sent it out as a survey to um, early childhood leaders in the state of Connecticut and early childhood teachers, again, defined as that pre-K to grade three. Um, so I ended up with um, nearly 300 teacher respondents and around 50, I believe, leader respondents to the survey. So that was the quantitative piece of the survey. And I've, I've begun to do some, um, some more basic analyses looking at um, the differences in responses from um, what, what the leaders had to say about themselves and then what the teachers had to say about their leaders. Um, so I've gotten some, some basic um, statistical analyses on that. Um, and then the second part of it, which I'm, I'm working on now, is to actually do some interviews. I did um, ask survey participants if they were interested in interviews to, um, to give me their contact information. So I'm in the space now of looking to start to collect some interview data. So it, those questions are, are, again, are aligned to these ideas that I have been talking about. Um, but to get some more information about what is it that they're actually doing and what they're saying about their leadership and their ability to really lead and create these environments for good early childhood learning. And do you have any preliminary findings from the study? So in my initial findings, definitely overall, I found that leaders raise themselves, rate themselves um, significantly higher than teachers do. So, um, and that came across the board on every, uh, every uh, item that I analyzed. And the significance on some of them was very, very high. So there definitely is a difference of perception of leadership um, capacity and leadership practice from what the leaders think they're, they're doing to the way teachers perceive that leadership. And, um, and there are certainly some, some challenges in that. Um, for instance, I've done some other work with some colleagues on um, teacher evaluation. And certainly in a teacher evaluation system, for a teacher evaluation system to be effective, the teachers have to view their leaders as being knowledgeable and capable. So if we're thinking about, you know, one one thing that you know leaders can do is to go observe and give feedback to teachers. It has to be meaningful to the teachers, and if it's not meaningful to the teachers because they don't find the, their leader to have the skills, then that's a challenge in how we're going to use how the leader's going to function and, and grow their faculty. So that's one really overarching piece that I've had the, the, the opportunity to notice in the work. I definitely have a lot more detailed analysis um, to do, and I would like to be able to take some looks if we're finding, is it, um, I asked for grade levels taught by the teachers, and I asked for um, the type of setting that they found themselves in, whether they're in a public school setting or a faith-based setting, um, whether they had um, funding, state funding for their programs. So I would love to do some analysis to see if I could pinpoint if there's some trends within that demographic space as well. I just haven't gotten to that part yet. And you said you had around 300 teachers mm -hmm. and 50 directors. And can you actually match the data so you can look at one specific director and then you can compare with her teachers? Unfortunately, no. I really wanted to do that, um, but I, um, in order to look at, my initial plan with this study was to look at um, just state-funded programs. 
And in Connecticut, in order to research state-funded programs, you have to get approval from the uh, internal review board at the state level through our Office of Early Childhood, as well as getting that same um, IRB review through the university. And the, um, the state has a policy that you can't be able to identify someone. It has, there's a certain number of people, depth you have to have, and I wouldn't have that if I was trying to match them. So I initially had really hoped to match and then actually do some interviews where the alignment was really good, where teachers and leaders were looking at them, each other with similarity and then try to look where there was more disparity. But unfortunately, I was, had constraints mm. and was unable to, to do that. Mm. Actually, time is running out. It's really interesting. Uh, do you have maybe a final point or conclusion or something that you want to say at the end? Um, I just think, um, and I'm just thinking more about the day, that we just, um, those of us that, that care about early childhood and, and early, our, our youngest people, just need to really be thinking together and thinking creatively and advocating together. Um, and leadership is a piece of that and an important piece of that. Um, but I think it's broader than that as well. Um, so I just, I, I think we, we need to recognize that we do have some, some power and, and some things we can do, but we need to advocate for that and use that and make things better. Because the little ones, they need us and we need them. Mm. So um, I just encourage people people if, if you care about little people do what you can to make things better and then at the very end if some of my listeners want to look more into uh, what you are doing maybe find some papers you have written where can they go on the internet to find information about you and your research so you could certainly check Central Connecticut State University's website um, that would be give you some contact information for me um, I do belong on ResearchGate. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that has um, definitely some papers that I've written there. Um, I do have LinkedIn, a LinkedIn account as well. Um, so I am out there on the social media a little bit. I think if you look up Maria Boki Mangiello, you'll find me, so. Thank you very much. I never used to thank you. That was the interview with a researcher in the leadership area. This podcast has come to an end. I would like to invite you to join our group on Facebook. If you just type in the search field on Facebook, research in leadership in schools, early childhood settings and social care settings, you will find the group. In the group, there are announcements of new episodes, and we are also able to discuss some issues being brought up in the episodes. This podcast has been running for a long time now, and due to technical reasons, all of the episodes are not available on all podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and so on. But in our group on Facebook, you can find the complete list of all the episodes that have been delivered. So please join us on Facebook. I hope to see you there. Bye bye.